What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, our world was once considered to be in the dark ages, and then we had the age of discovery and the age of enlightenment and the age of revolution, and uh, now we're in the information age. But you know what? With all of our discoveries and enlightenment and revolutions and information, we are still spiritually in the dark ages. The greatest discovery of all is the discovery of who Jesus is, the discovery of what Jesus has done for us, and the most important bit of enlightenment is the realization that we are sinners. Uh, We are sinners who are going to receive the judgment of God unless we accept His salvation through Jesus. And the most significant revolution is to join Jesus and stand up against the darkness of this world. And the greatest information is the inspired Word of God that we need to learn and live out. But that's not where our world is at. That's not what they have discovered. That's not what they've been enlightened to come to. That's not the revolution that they are willing to join. Uh, and that's not the information that they uh, believe in or live by. And so our world is spiritually in darkness. And you know what? As Christians, that shouldn't surprise us. If you read the Bible, study the Bible, the Bible makes very clear, especially the time that we live in, what the world would be like. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we're told this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You know, when you look at our world today and then you read this description, unfortunately, that's a pretty accurate description of what we see today, of what you look at when you look at the news today. We are living in a very spiritually dark world full of sin. And that spiritual darkness doesn't just come from the people in this world who are lost in sin. There's actually a darkness even greater than that. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so this is telling us that we are in a spiritual battle and we have a battle against demonic forces, against Satan and his demons. And notice that they are the uh, rulers of the darkness of this world. And so there are two things that are very important for us to understand as Christians. The first is that we live in a very spiritually dark world. And second, we are battling against demonic rulers that are trying to keep people in spiritual 
darkness. And because of these two realities, what we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 8 is very important for us to understand. Because as we come now, we're moving through John chapter 8, we get to Jesus's second I am statement, a a statement where he declares something about who he is, and he's going to declare that he is the light of the world. Now, it's so important for us to understand this truth about Jesus, especially because of the world that we live in especially because of the spiritual darkness that we see all around us and because of the fact that there is demonic forces trying to keep people within that spiritual darkness. And so this morning, we're going to spend our time looking at this statement that Jesus makes about uh, being the light of the world. But we're also going to look at another statement that Jesus makes as well. Because not only does he call himself the light of the world here in John chapter 8, but in Matthew chapter 5, he says that those who follow him are to be the light of the world. And so there's two main things that we're going to focus on as we look at these two different passages. First, what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world, especially in the context and the setting in which he declared that wonderful truth? And then secondly, what does it mean for us as his followers to be the light of the world. And so we're going to start by looking at the first thing that Jesus ultimately does in declaring himself as the light of the world. But before we do that, it's very important to note the setting of when this is said, because it really makes a huge difference. I want you to try to picture yourself being one of these people at the temple when Jesus declares this statement, because of everything that has led up to it, the statement he makes would be much more profound, much more significant because of it. And so let me share with you a little of the setting. Uh, remember, this is taking place one day after the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, back in chapter 7, I shared with you one of the ceremonies that they did in the Feast of Tabernacles, the water ceremony where they would go from the temple down to the Pool of Shiloh and come back. And they had all these things happening, but it was to remember God's provision of water in the wilderness. Now, there was one other significant ceremony that took place during the Feast of Tabernacles that I purposely didn't bring up because I was waiting to this moment where we see this setting where Jesus is at to share with it because the other ceremony that they did was the ceremony of the illumination of the temple. And this took place in the very specific spot, uh, in the court of the women. It's also the place in which the temple treasury was located. Now, this is significant because we're going to see uh, next week in verse 20 of chapter 8 that all the things that Jesus is sharing from this I am statement and everything he says after it, he's saying it in the temple treasury, which takes us uh, at the um, court of the women. And so here is a picture so that you can get an idea of you know where this is uh, on the temple mount there. So this ceremony of the illumination of the temple, it would take place the very first night night of the Feast of Tabernacles. So there, you know, it's going from, you know, the sun's going down, it's getting dark, and and once it gets dark, there were four huge lamps. Some believe that they were more like candelabras, others just maybe one flame, but either way, they held 65 gallons of oil. And so these things produced a huge flame that would come from them, and that night, right when it got dark, they would light these four huge lamps there in the court of women, but they didn't just have these on 
the ground. They put these on giant poles that they were lifted up above even where the, the temple is so that they could produce light as far as possible. Uh, and many historians uh, spoke of this saying that you know this was something that would illuminate all the different courtyards there uh, on the Temple Mount and even many of the courtyards there in Jerusalem that just lit it up. And so you know the purpose of this ceremony and doing this was a reminder of God's provision of the pillar of fire there in the wilderness. We already looked at God's provision of water, but now it was a reminder of God's provision of the pillar of fire. Remember the Israelites, they were able to follow that pillar of fire. And because of that, they didn't walk in darkness. Because of that, you know, they had light through the night that guided them, that exposed the things that were around them. And these are the two things that they remembered when they looked back at the pillar of fire and how God provided that. First, it was that, that guiding light that guided them through the wilderness wandering at night. This was one of the things that they kind of remembered and focused on was the guiding light of the pillar of fire. You know, we live in the city and so we really don't ever experience true darkness because there's way too many lights that are on that keep us from that. But if you get away from the city, you know, you go out into the woods or somewhere else, you know, and then the you know sun goes down, especially if it's not a full moon or anything, then you really start to see what darkness is like. I remember camping many times and in the day it's like, oh, I know where I am. I could get back to the campsite, no problem. I can, I can see all the trails, but when the night comes, I mean, even if you need to use the restroom in the middle of the night, you, you go outside your tent, if you don't have some kind of flashlight or source of light, you can't see anything. It's pitch dark, uh, and so there's this huge necessity for light in order to guide you, and that's what this light did for the nation of Israel, and so as they took part in this ceremony, that was one of the things they remembered, the guiding light of the pillar of fire that God gave to them. And the second thing they remembered is that the pillar of fire exposed what was in the darkness. You see, as they traveled through the wilderness, there were harmful things that they would need to see. You know, you don't want to come up on some kind of scorpion or something. You know, when you're walking through there, the light would expose harmful things that they could avoid and protect themselves from. But also the light revealed things that were helpful, you know, that they would want to know. Uh, hey, there's this body of water here. There's a source of whatever. There's some food, you know, so, so the light would produce, uh, expose what's harmful and also expose what is good so they could take advantage of it. Uh, and so this was, you know, as you look back at the, the wanderings through the wilderness, one of the great blessings of God was sending his light through this pillar of fire to guide and to expose the darkness. And every night of the Feast of Tabernacles, remember it took place eight nights or eight days, seven nights, uh, and they would look at this. They would see these huge four lamps just with these blazing flames, and it would just remind them of God's provision of that pillar of fire and that light in Israel. Now, remember, this is the day after the feast. So now the feast is complete. And note that the fact that Jesus is in the court of the women where these, you know, uh, four poles with these huge lamps would have been on. But the day of the feast is now, you know, the feast is over. So now it's time to take these things down. Kind of like, you know, we have our Christmas celebration. We put up all these Christmas lights. And when Christmas is done... Well, some of us don't take down lights. We leave them all year. But others take down the lights uh, because the, the ceremony, the celebration is over. And in the same way, hey, these lamps only go up for the Feast of Tabernacles. And once the Feast of Tabernacles is done, they got to take these huge things off these poles. And this was an all-day process. This wasn't some quick you know, thing that took place. And so I want you to try to picture the scene. 
You're there on the Temple Mount. You're in the court of women. You're there and, you know, these priests, probably the younger ones, are up on these ladders and they're starting to take down these huge lamps. And it's just a reminder of every night leading up to this, you have remembered the pillar of fire and you realize this is the first night these flames aren't going to be lit. You know, now they're going to be taken down. And so you're kind of, you know, thinking about that and remembering and reminiscing of this you know, past festival. And it's in that setting that Jesus now speaks. And I want you to note what he says here in John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So as I imagine, maybe even Jesus pointed. I mean, as the crowd is watching these huge, you know, lamps being taken down and they're just kind of thinking about the, the provision of God's light, all of a sudden Jesus stands up in this setting where people already have this truth on their mind and he declares, I am the light of the world. Jesus is connecting himself with the light of God that guided the Israelites out of the wilderness. And this would have been clear to those who were listening, clear to those who were there. But Jesus isn't just the light for the Israelites, which is a wonderful truth for those of us who aren't Jewish. He says, not, I am the light of the Israelites. He says, I am the light of the world. That my light even goes beyond the nation of Israel and it illuminates. It's for the entire world. But just like the pillar of fire guided the Israelites who followed it and exposed the darkness for them to help them, That's what Jesus does for those who follow him. Notice what Jesus says. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You know, the Israelites followed the the, the pillar of fire and it enabled them to walk in the light, not in the darkness. It, it, It guided them and exposed these things. And Jesus is saying, hey, in the same way, those who follow me, you're going to walk in the light, not in the darkness. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so Jesus is connecting himself with, you've been remembering this whole festival of what God has done in the past in providing the light. But you know what? I am the light of the world. And those who follow me, just like your ancestors followed that light and walked in light instead of walking in darkness, those who follow me will walk in light instead of walking in darkness. But you know, as we've seen so often with what Jesus is speaking of here, he's bringing up a a spiritual truth more than a a physical reality. Not that, hey, I'm going to glow as I walk through Israel and at nighttime, if you just stand near me, you'll be able to see what's around the corner. He's not talking about that physical reality. He's speaking of a spiritual darkness that he realizes all that I'm speaking to here, especially those that you would think were spiritually light, which are the religious leaders, he realizes you are in spiritual darkness. And I am the light. I am the source that can help you in spiritual darkness to actually see the truth, to actually see what you need to. But you have to follow me in order to have that light. Something important for us to understand is it's only those who have accepted Jesus and who follow Jesus who walk in spiritual light. Everyone else is just walking in spiritual darkness. Now, there are people who are, are, are searching out for light and maybe even think that they have the light. And, you know, so many people are looking to different religions for, for the light for their life or maybe good works or, you know, there's all sorts of different things that people are searching for to kind of be that guidance for them. But the reality is 
There's only one source of light that will bring spiritual light to an individual and take them out of spiritual darkness, and that is Jesus, the light of the world. 1 John 1.5 tells us this, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Jesus is the light of the world, and something wonderful about Jesus, because He is God, is that there is no darkness at all in Jesus. And that's why when you follow Jesus, you're not going to walk in darkness because there's never going to be a time where it's like, Jesus is light, Jesus is light. Oh, today he's dark, so there's no light for you. No, he is light. There is no darkness in him. And as you follow him, you will always walk in the light because of him. But not only do you get to walk in the light, but Jesus says you will have the light of life. You follow Jesus, you are taken from a life lived in spiritual darkness and you're given a life lived in spiritual light. You go from living for the sinful, dark things of this world to being able to live for and being free to live, free from the sinful things and live to the things of God. So Jesus takes the light that God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness the light that you know they had just been thinking about for the last eight days of this feast, the light that I'm sure they were even reminiscing as they were being taken down right before them. And he connects that light to himself. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now this would have been such a profound and powerful message for those who are listening. You know, you hear that today, and it's still quite a a profound message of Jesus declaring he's the light of the world. But with that setting and that backdrop, and having just thought this whole week, this whole festival, being reminded over and over, seeing these flames, the light that God provided, the significance of it, the importance of it for guiding and exposing. And then all of a sudden you realize Jesus, this man here, is connecting himself to the light of God. They were aware of this. We're going to see at the end of this, the religious leaders want to kill him. That They understand that what he is saying is he truly is God and he possesses the light that God has and that's why he is the light of the world and those who follow him will not walk in darkness. Now something interesting to note as we get to the next chapter, John chapter 9, Jesus shares something important about the time frame of him being the light of the world. So he makes this bold and wonderful statement, I'm the light of the world. And notice in John 9, 5, we're told, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So notice the time frame that Jesus gives, how long he's going to be the light of the world. He says, well, as long as I am physically here, I will be the light of the world. But implication being, when I'm physically gone, then I won't be. That light will be gone because I'll be gone. Now in John chapter 12, Jesus tells the people the time of him being the light of the world is actually running out. John 12, 35 and 36 says, Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe the light, that you may become sons of of light. So Jesus has already given the time frame that he is the only one who is the light of the world and he's only that as long as he's in the world. And now he tells people, all right, he's only going to be in the world a little while longer. So his time in the world is coming 
to an end. So I want you to note something in these three passages. We see Jesus saying he's the light of the world. We're saying that he is that as long as he's in the world. And now we see him saying he's only going to be here a little while longer. Well, if you continue on in John all the way to the end, you realize he dies, he rises from the dead, and he ascends back to heaven. And that ascension is his departure from this earth. Now he is finally gone. Well, this brings up an interesting and important question for us. Since Jesus, the light of the world, is no longer living in the world, how does the world see and experience his light? Well, the answer to that question comes from the second passage I want us to focus on this morning, and that is what Jesus says about those who follow him. We already see that those who follow him, they're not going to walk in darkness, but they're going to have the light of life. But he says something else as well, which is very profound and important for us to understand in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So if Jesus is the light of the world and he's no longer in the world, how does the world see and experience his light? The answer to the question is the world sees and experiences the light of Jesus through those who believe in him and follow him. Jesus says, you, speaking to his followers, are the light of the world. So notice when you follow Jesus, you're not only someone who no longer walks in darkness, but have the light of life. You're given this huge responsibility. Jesus is saying, hey, you now are the light of the world. The Bible also tells us that we are ambassadors, we're representatives of Jesus, and Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the light, and I've departed. So now I give you this great responsibility to be the light of the world. Now, I think it's important to note something here, that we are not the light of the world in the same way that Jesus is the light of the world. And here's the big difference. Jesus produces his own light. And that's what makes him the light of the world. He produces, he is the light. There is no darkness in him. But you and I, we don't produce light. That is not something that we do. We instead reflect the light that Jesus produces. And so when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's not saying, you're going to be the light of the world in the same way that I am. He's saying, I ultimately am the light, and now I am giving it to you to reflect my light to this world because I am now ascending back to the Father. I think a good analogy of this is of the sun and the moon. The moon doesn't have its own light source. So when you look at the moon shining at night, it's not being produced by the moon, it's being reflected. And the moon is reflecting the light of the sun, and therefore you see that light because it's doing that. And so, you know, within that, Jesus is like the sun. He's the one who produces the light. We are like the moon, we just reflect it. And we reflect it to a world that now can see it and be benefited by it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 speaks of this. We're told, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful verse that we're told God is shining in and through believers. And notice what he's shining, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
We're just reflecting that. That wonderful knowledge, that wonderful glory of Jesus reflected off of us to this world so that they can see it. So when Jesus says we are the light of the world, he's telling us we have that wonderful responsibility to reflect his light since he's no longer here to shine it himself. And fulfilling this responsibility as lights to the world is such a vital thing for us to do, especially with regard to knowing that we live in such a spiritually dark world and there are demonic forces seeking to keep people in spiritual darkness. One of the main things that will help us deliver people from spiritual darkness is if we reflect the light of Jesus. If we shine the way that we should. You know, if we're shining the way that we should, really, we're going to have a similar impact to the pillar of fire shining for the nation of Israel in the wilderness. The two things that they remembered, remember that they saw that the fact that that fire exposed, that light exposed what was in the darkness, and it guided them. And in the same way, if we are truly reflecting Jesus like we should, the light of Jesus like we should, those are two ways in which we will impact this world that's living in spiritual darkness. First, we're going to shine the light of Jesus, and it's going to expose the things that are in spiritual darkness. Light exposes darkness. And this is just a reality. You know, when you come home, especially when it's dark, probably the first thing that you do, I know it's the first thing I do, you turn on the lights. You know, you want to see what's going on. And maybe if you watch too many scary movies, you're thinking maybe there's someone in my house hiding behind the couch or whatever. But you want to see what's happening. You turn on the light so that it illuminates the room. You can see everything in there. But you know, sometimes you don't know that there's things in your house that you don't want. And when the light comes on, all of a sudden, what was hiding in the darkness becomes clear and you can get rid of it. You know, a few months ago, I opened my garage, I turned on the light, and on the floor, these little cockroaches start scurrying away, trying to get into the darkness again. And I didn't know they were there, but because they always kind of just come out at night and do their thing at night. And then the light came on and I see them and I go around trying to stomp on them, but they're fast little guys. Uh, but, you know, now I know, okay, I need to deal with them. I need to get with them. But the only way I know is because the light has come on to enable me to do that. So that's one of the main purposes of light. It exposes what's in the darkness. Now, as believers in Jesus, we reflect the light of Jesus. And you know what it does? It exposes sin. It exposes the darkness that's in the world. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us an important challenge concerning this. It says this in verses 8 through 13. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. You and I used to be in darkness. Before we came to Jesus Christ, we were one of those people living in spiritual darkness. But once we accepted Christ... One of the wonderful things that happens is Jesus says, you know, now you are my ambassador. Now you are my representative. Now I want to reflect my light off of you to this world. And it's going to expose stuff. It's going to expose sin that's transpiring. It's going to expose evil that's happening. It's going to expose, as we see here, the unfruitful works of darkness. 
The Greek word translated exposed means to bring to light, to call to account, to reveal. So when we're shining the light of Jesus, it's going to bring to light. It's going to reveal sin that people are engaged in. Light reveals sin and darkness conceals sin. And that's why so much of a crime and sinful behavior is done in the darkness. Why? Because they want it to be concealed. They don't want people to see. They don't want people to know. It's a hidden thing. It conceals it, but the light reveals it. But here's the reality. A lot of people don't want their sin revealed. They don't want their sin exposed. They don't like that. And so as a Christian reflecting the light of Jesus, there's going to be some pushback. There's going to be people that you maybe have at work or, or just as friends or neighbors or whatever who are still living and walking in spiritual darkness. And that light that you shine is going to expose sin in their life that they don't want exposed, that they don't want people to see. And, you know, so for many, that's something that, you know, is difficult for them. And maybe you've seen that. Maybe you got saved and you had friends who were unbelievers still, and you went to try to still spend time with them, still hang out with them, but you talk different. You act different. Jesus is changing your life. You're not engaging in those sinful things anymore. And what is that doing? It's like this huge spotlight just exposing how sinful they are in comparison to how you're living your life now. And oftentimes it's not like, hey, let's keep hanging out. It's usually, we don't want to spend time with you anymore. We liked you when you you hung out and did what we did. But now that you're different, now that you don't speak and cuss and say these things that we do, and, and now you don't party and do drugs and, and drink and, and all these other things that we do, you know what? We don't want you around because there's like a guilty feeling we have. You know, there's this exposure that you bring to it. And you don't even have to oftentimes point it out. You know, you sit next to someone, I'll go on airplanes and, you know, I'll sit next to someone and they'll be, you know, just swearing and saying stuff. And then we'll get to like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, thinking of all the things they just said and they start apologizing. And, you know, there's this reality that when you're not speaking or living like those people who are lost in spiritual darkness, you don't even have to go around saying, hey, you shouldn't say that. That's sinful. Or you shouldn't. There is a reality that just how you live, which is so completely different exposes and brings this guilt to the way in which they're living. One of the most important things this world needs to understand is that they're sinners. Why? Because until they recognize that they're sinners, they're never going to understand their need for a Savior. And so our exposing light is so vital because it helps people see what they truly are. Because so many people in this world are deceived into believing, I'm a good person. You know, when I die, God's going to let me into heaven. Why? Well, because my good has outweighed my bad. They, they have this delusion that they're really good. When the reality is, no, you're not. You're a sinner who's going to receive God's judgment. And that's why you're in desperate need of a Savior. So the first way that our light will impact this world is it's going to expose the fact that they're in spiritual darkness. But the second way, the same way that we see with the pillar of fire, it's also a guiding Light. It guides people through spiritual darkness to the most important place of all, the light of Jesus. That should be the other purpose, not just to expose it, because it starts with that. Hey, my, my light that reflects Jesus exposes your sin, but I don't want it to stop there. I want it now to guide you to the Savior. Now that you recognize I'm a sinful person, I want this light to keep reflecting, to bring you, guide you to the one who can deal with your sin, the one who can save you from your sin, the one who can who put paid the price on the cross. Without light to guide you, you wouldn't be able to get where you need to go. You know, this is why our cars have headlights. 
I mean, imagine driving at night, turn off your headlights, and especially if you don't have, you know, street lights, you're out in the windy roads out where it's dark. I mean, you don't have headlights on, it's not going to be long until you crash and die. You know, you, you need those headlights to expose hazards in the road, if there's turns in the road or other cars coming. If they didn't have headlights on, you wouldn't be able to see them either. But, you know, many people in our world today are spiritually driving in darkness without headlights, so to speak. They're living life in spiritual darkness without any real, true light to guide them. And that's where we as Christians come in. God says it's our job. We're the ones to reflect Jesus' light. We're the ones to give them that light that will guide them to truth, that light that will guide them to who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and help them come to know the Savior. You know, that's one of the things that God called Paul to do right after Paul, who was, you know, murdering Christians. And God reaches him and saves him. And right away, he tells him one of the things that Paul's going to be able to do. And in Acts 26, Paul says what that is. And it's something that we need to do as well. Notice what we're told in verses 16 through 18. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Notice to send you to do what? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What God calls Paul to do, that, that's a calling for each one of us. I want you to go and I want you to turn people as you reflect my light, turn them from darkness to light. Bring them to that place where they go from the power of Satan to God. For what purpose? That they may receive forgiveness of their sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That, that's our goal. That's what happened with us. We shouldn't just be content with saying, well, I'm, I'm happy I got that. But no, I want to shine Jesus' light so that as many people as possible can also receive the wonderful grace and forgiveness of God. So our light exposes people's sin, but once they see their sin, they need to be guided to Jesus, their Savior. And we practically guide people the same way that we expose them, by proclaiming the gospel, by proclaiming the truths of God's word and standing with it, and by living out that word. So the first way that our light will impact this world is going to expose, in fact, their spiritual darkness. The second way is it's going to help guide them through the spiritual darkness to Jesus the light. And I want to finish with one other thing that Jesus says here in, in Matthew chapter 4 as he's speaking about us being the light. Notice what he goes on to say in verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I'm not going to get into the details of these two illustrations because the clear point is he's making, hey, light needs to be placed where it can be seen, not in a place where it's hidden. You know, if a city is not on a hill, it won't be seen. If you have a lamp in your house and you put it under, you know, a basket, it's lost its value and purpose because now the light doesn't uh, shine. It's not seen. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. So Jesus is saying, hey, we're the light of the world, but we shouldn't be hiding our light. You know, you're called to reflect the light of Jesus, you know, not, not to, you know, hide the light of Jesus. Dwight Pentecost wrote this. The nature of light is to shine. 
There is no such thing as light that does not communicate itself. There is no such thing as a self-contained light. Light may originate in a distant star and travel a span of light years, but it does not get tired of shining and cease to shine. Its nature is to shine. Christ says He has made us lights in the world, and we are not self-contained. It is the nature of the child of God who has been made light to communicate the light given to Him. God's purpose for us is to shine. You're the light of the world. Not you're the darkness. You're a light, and the purpose of you is to, to shine. Years ago, when horse and buggies were still common, there was a tragedy on a rural railroad crossing. A buggy containing an entire family was struck by an oncoming train, and the people uh, in that buggy were all killed. And there was an investigation, and they questioned the man who was stationed there uh, at the crossing where the buggy is and the train intersected. And they asked him the questions because he was responsible for warning people about the approaching trains. And he was asked if he was at the crossing that night. Yes, I was. Did you know the train was coming? Yes, I did. It was on time as it always was. Did you take your lantern and go out to meet uh, the buggy like you were supposed to? Yes, I did. Did you wave your lantern back and forth and, and warn that there was a train coming? Yes, I did. Well, this was the heart of the investigation. And after a few more questions, the matter was closed. And they just kind of ended it with a, an unfortunate accident. Well, years went by and that watchman got sick and was close to death. And he began to moan over and over, oh, those poor people. Oh, those poor people. And a friend asked, you know, what are you talking about? And he reveals, I'm referring to that, that train and the, and the family and that buggy who were killed. And his friend tried to say, oh, no, there was a careful investigation. And, and you know, you didn't do anything wrong. They found you, you know, guilt-free. And the watchman said, but there's one question they didn't ask me. They didn't ask me if my lantern was lit. It wasn't. And the people died as a result of it. You know, we live in a world where people have no clue of what is coming because of their sin. They're like that family sitting on train tracks and a train is coming to destroy them and they have no idea of what's happening. And they need someone who's going to reveal that through the light of Jesus to expose their sin, to guide them away from the judgment that's coming. But the question for all of us is, is your light lit? The eternal destiny of others depends on it. Jesus is the light of the world, and He is calling us to reflect that light to others. This world is in spiritual darkness. They desperately need us to reflect the light of Jesus so it can expose their sin and then guide them to the Savior who died for their sin. Let's pray.